You're listening to audio from Shandon Baptist Church. If you'd like to check out more resources from us, please visit our website at shandon.org. I'd like to ask you if you're willing and able to stand with me as I read this opening text this morning, James chapter three, beginning in verse seven, right where we left off last week. And if you're new to Shandon or if you're wondering why we're standing, or maybe if you're joining us online and you're seeing the church standing right now, the reason that we do this each week for the reading of God's word at the beginning of a sermon is so that we all will be reminded when we come together, the The word of God is our foundation. The word of God is what the people of God stand upon. And the word of God has been given to us through the spirit of God that we might know what God says is right and good and true. So this is sacred space. When we turn to the scripture, we are hearing from God when we open his word. And this is what the scripture says In James 3, verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, Come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The words that we speak have tremendous power. Let's pray together that God through his word and his spirit moving among us today would help us see what is happening in our lives as we use the power of words. Let's pray. Father, we turn our attention to you now. And as we stand at the reading of your word, we are asking you and inviting you to say to us what we need to hear. That that can be a challenging prayer to pray. Lord, tell me what I need to hear. Show me what I need to see. But I pray, Lord God, today as we turn to you, that we would hear what you desire for us to hear, that we would see what you desire for us to see. And as a result, we would be different in light of what you say. So fix our attention on you, even though we lost an hour of sleep and even though many are tired and even though we bring into this room all kind of fears and concerns and, and weight and challenge. Lord, I pray that in your power, you would speak into our lives. That you would open our eyes to see with greater clarity who you are and what you have done. And Lord, would you give us the faith to walk and to live and to speak in light of what you say. Use this time for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. 
When I was a kid, an annual thing that our family would do that I would always look forward to was we would go see the greatest show on earth. When the circus came rolling into town in Atlanta, Georgia, the old Omni that then became Phillips Arena that I think now is State Farm Arena, we would go downtown Atlanta. We would see the greatest show on earth. Now, I realize some of you here today may not even know what the circus is because the circus has been canceled and there's not a Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey circus anymore. You may have seen the, the movie, The Greatest Showman, which our family loves that movie. I think it's just because the girls want to look at Zac Efron and, and the guys just like the animals, but we do like that movie. But, but the circus was a real thing. And it would come into town and there would be all these crazy spectacles that would take place and the, the act on the high wire and the, the ring of death where the motorcycles would ride around in a, in a big sphere and, and the clowns would come out and, and there's all these things happening. But the highlight every time was when the lions and the tigers would come out and a man with incredible authority and command and power in his voice would step into that arena with these incredible jungle creatures and they would listen to what he would say. When I was a kid, one of my heroes was this man. His name was Gunther Gable Williams. Anybody ever heard of Gunther Gable Williams? This guy was a living legend. We've got a picture that we can put up on the screen. The man, the myth, the legend. He would ride into the arena in the circus on the back of an elephant with a leopard on his shoulders. You are a man when you carry a leopard on your shoulders, people. That's incredible. That's impressive. He had this language that he developed that, that only he and the other trainers understood to communicate with the animals. And it was an amazing sight to behold. As lions and tigers and leopards are, are listening to his voice and heeding his command. The scripture says every kind of wild beast can be tamed by man. But no one can tame the tongue. What a statement. What a powerful thought to consider that it is possible to tame a lion or a tiger or a leopard or an elephant or a bear. It's possible, but no one can tame the tongue. And we know this is true, don't we? Because the reality is you can say something today that will end a relationship. You can say something this week that will cause you to lose your job. You can say something this week that will absolutely defame and destroy someone's reputation. You can say something this week that could end you up in prison. Our words have incredible power. They can be tremendously destructive. 
And that's why James says no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Last week we left off at verse six that says the tongue is literally set on fire by hell. We, we have the, the ability to literally speak the fire of hell in the words that we say. So what do we do with this? Because this is not a pretty picture at all. The language here is assertive. The language here is emphatic. No one can tame this evil, poisonous tongue. What do we do with that? The scripture continues, verses nine and 10. It says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. These verses are are very sobering, are they not? I mean, these verses are honest. These verses really, in a sense, are getting in our face. I mean, can we just get real for a second? How many of you have have ever driven to church having a nice, passionate family argument? And then you walk into church and you immediately smile and begin to sing beautiful songs about the greatness of our God so that you can walk out of church and get back in the car and pick up the argument right where you left off. From the same mouth, blessing and cursing. From the same mouth, encouragement or destruction. From the same mouth, life or death can be spoken. James says these things ought not to be so. Think about your words. Is it true of you? Blessing and cursing. Life or death? What is the fire that comes out of your mouth? Is it the fire of passion for what God has done? Or is it the fire of hell as the scripture describes? With our words, we sing praise to God in one moment and then we curse man made in his image the next. James says this is not what the words of a follower of Jesus should be like. This is not what the words of a Christian should be like. This is hard to consider because the scripture here is talking about the way we interact with other people, even those who disagree with us. Even those who don't live like us, they are made in the image of God. Even those who are hostile towards us are made in the image of God. Even those who belittle us or mock us for the things we say or do in the way that we live, they are made in the image of God. Even those who have wronged us and hurt us are made in the image of God. 
These words are written to the church. And so James is speaking to the church specifically here. And he's saying, church, I just need to address for a moment the hypocrisy that so often comes out of your mouth. For you claim to love God. And yet you continue cursing people who are made in his image. It's as if James is taking us back to the foundation of the faith and reminding us of what is most important. And James is saying, listen, you, you remember the great commandment, don't you? Matthew 22, the great commandment does not say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Unless your neighbor disagrees with you, then curse him. Unless your neighbor doesn't live like you, then curse them. Unless your neighbor has a a different belief system than you, then please, by all means, take it to Facebook and rip them to shreds. And that's not the great commandment at all. It's love your neighbor as yourself. The Great Commission does not say go into all the earth and make disciples unless they disagree with you, unless the world is different from you. And then by all means, just curse the world. No, Jesus says the mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe what the word, what I have commanded you, Jesus says. Our words are to be a blessing. One of my mentors in ministry, Pastor Steve Stroop, says it this way. The gift of communication was given to us to praise God and to introduce people to our God to praise God and to introduce people to our God. That's what the words that come out of our mouths are supposed to be all about. And so here's just the question, what do our words say? Do our words praise God and invite others to praise God and introduce others to the praise of God? Or do our words tear down and cause people to steer clear of the word of God. From the same mouth, blessing and cursing, these things ought not to be so, the scripture says. And then it goes on, verse 11 and 12, as James so helpfully gives us some practical examples. We saw this last week. As James compared the, the tongue to a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship or a small spark that turns into a great flame. Here we see in verses 11 and 12, these very basic illustrations, but they're so helpful because it's so clear what the scripture is revealing about the power of our words. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What is James saying? Two things that are very clear that run parallel to one another. First, we must be reminded of this. Our words reveal our heart. Our words reveal our heart. 
Our words are the window to what is going on inside of us. This is incredibly significant. Because our words show what really matters most in our heart. Our words reveal whether or not our heart has been transformed by the power of God's love and grace or whether our heart is growing bitter and cold and angry and and we just occasionally give lip service to God. The words of Jesus reveal this in Luke chapter six, verse 45. Jesus says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus is saying the overflow of the heart will be our words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here's what's so important here, because this gives us some insight into what James has revealed in chapter three, when he says, no one can tame the tongue. Jesus here in Luke six is saying, let me show you what I alone can do. I can change the heart. We need a heart transplant, a new heart of flesh that replaces the heart of stone, a new heart of life that replaces the heart that was dead. That's what Christ alone can do, can give us a new heart that then invites us to speak with a new language, a language of the gospel a language of grace, a language of love and compassion in a heart that has been transformed and is overflowing in what Christ has done. No one can tame the tongue, but God can transform the heart. And when a heart is transformed, the words will follow and reveal what has happened in the heart. Warren Wearsby in his commentary on the book of James writes this, if the heart is filled with hatred, Satan will light the fire. But if the heart is filled with love, God will light the fire. So what is the fire burning in your mouth, in your words, off your tongue? Is it a fire that points to what God has done in his love and grace, what we see in the good news of the gospel? Or is it a fire of destruction that has been ignited from the pit of hell? A deadly poison or a blessing? Our words reveal our heart, but the other side of this is true as well and needs to be considered. James is showing us here in these illustrations in verses 11 and 12 that our heart produces fruit. Our heart produces fruit, a freshwater spring only produces fresh water. It does not produce salt water. A tree does not produce multiple kinds of fruit. It produces the kind of fruit that comes from that kind of tree. Am I going too fast? 
A salt pond, James says, does not produce fresh water. The, the source of whatever this created item might be reveals what's going on inside. Our heart produces fruit. There will be fruit that reveals the condition of our heart. And if someone looks hard enough, and if someone listens intently enough, they can see and hear what is taking place in our hearts. With this in mind, I want to go back to a sermon that Jesus preaches in the Gospel of Matthew. We see it recorded. If you're new to Bible study, this is what would be considered probably the most famous sermon of Jesus. It's definitely the, the longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the scripture. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon is incredible because it lays out for us what it means to walk with Jesus and, and what happens in a life when a life is transformed by the power of the gospel. And as Jesus is beginning to wrap up this sermon in Matthew 7, he begins to talk about fruit and the importance of fruit as it relates to what's going on in our heart. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, as we step into the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus preaches, he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them, Jesus says, by their fruits. And then he says something that points us back to what James has said, showing us that James has learned from the teaching of Jesus, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Students, this is so important as you come off of Impact Weekend. Some of you saying, yes, I'm following Jesus. Yes, I want my life to point to what God has done. Some of you just giving lip service to it. Our fruit will reveal what's really going on in our heart. You see, Jesus is addressing a reality that's true to this day among the people of God, there are a lot of people that claim to have a relationship with God. A lot of people that say they are a Christian, but the fruit of their life tells a different story altogether. And please don't miss this. The fruit does not lie. The fruit is incredibly honest, incredibly revealing. The fruit of our life reveals whether or not a heart has been changed. 
And Jesus is showing us here in the Sermon on the Mount that true faith in Christ will change a heart, which will change the fruit, which will change the life and the witness that is seen by the world. Think about how powerful, but how simple this illustration is. Jesus is saying what James then alludes to in chapter three, everything in nature reproduces after its kind. An apple seed that is planted in the ground becomes an apple tree that then bears the fruit of an apple. That's the way the natural world works according to God's design. And Jesus is showing us here the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. Those who are followers of Christ will have fruit in their life that will demonstrate what God has done in their heart. People may claim to be a Christian, but it is only a life that has been transformed by the gospel that produces fruit that points to Christ and reveals a heart that has truly been changed. What is the fruit of your life revealing? Let me read to you a quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in a letter that he wrote considering this text. He says, the man who really believes in the holiness of God and who knows his own sinfulness and the blackness of his own heart, the man who believes in judgment of God and the possibility of hell and torment, the man who really believes that he himself is so vile and helpless that nothing but coming the coming of the Son of God from heaven to earth and his going to the bitter shame and agony and cruelty of the cross could ever save him and reconcile him to God. God, this man, Lloyd-Jones writes, is going to show all that in his living. Is the gospel alive in the way that you live? Is the fruit of your life, the things you say, the things you do, revealing a heart that has been transformed. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. And the fruit does not lie. Don't miss this, church, don't miss this. Students, Don't miss this. You might be able to fool some others with the things that you say, but no one will fool God. He knows the heart. He knows what true gospel fruit looks like in a life. Where there is no fruit of the gospel that grows out of the gift of salvation that changes a heart, Jesus says there is fire. It's hard to hear that. We don't want to come face to face with a reality of of some kind of eternal consequence for the things that we do and the way that we live. But Jesus says a heart that has not been transformed 
by the gospel bears fruit that is only worthy of fire. Our sin, the scripture says, deserves death. That's heavy. But while that sits for a moment, let me just step right into that tension and say, the gospel is good news for those who recognize their sin and acknowledge their need for a savior. For Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While your heart was still deceitful, while your heart was still wicked, while your heart was still cold and callous, a heart of stone, while your heart was still jacked up, God in his love for you stepped into the brokenness of our world, sent his son to die on a cross so that our sin could be taken upon his back so that his death could pay the penalty that we deserve, thus inviting us out of the wages of death and into the gift of eternal life. This is the gospel. And when you know this gospel, this story of rescue that God has done for you and for me, what we can never do for ourselves, when you believe this gospel in faith, it will change your heart. And when your heart is changed, the fruit of your life will change and will reveal what God has done in your heart. Students, if you are a follower of Jesus, your language will change. Your words will change. Your priorities will change. The fruit of your life will reveal what God has done. Do not be deceived, the scripture says. The fruit does not lie. So what is your heart revealing? What is the fruit of your life. When you think about the words that you say, are they primarily words of blessing or are they primarily words of cursing? Perhaps you're here today and you recognize the need for a new heart a heart transplant, so to speak, a, a heart that can only be granted through the gift of Jesus Christ. If that's you today, recognize what God has done for you. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died so that you might live. He died so that your heart could come to life. And when your heart comes to life, the fruit of your life will reveal what God has done. If you recognize your need for Jesus today, recognize your need for what God alone can do in the power 
of the gospel. We just want to give you that opportunity as we pray to acknowledge your need and just to go before the Savior, asking him to do for you what he alone can do. Forgive your sin. Save your soul. Grant you the gift of a new heart. Change your life and ultimately change your eternity for the incredible gift of the gospel. As we consider our words, let's consider God's word and let's go before the Lord in prayer, asking him to do in us what he alone can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible opportunity that we've had this weekend to celebrate what you're doing in the lives of so many students. We praise you for the students that have made this public profession of faith today to say, I'm following Jesus. We thank you for their baptism. We thank you for their testimony. We pray that you would bless them, Lord God, as they follow after you. And Lord, we recognize in their example that there are many among us who have yet to step out on faith in such a way and go public with a decision to trust Jesus. There are some among us and some online who have, who have been hesitant to ever take that step of faith. And yet today, you are opening their eyes to see something that perhaps they have not seen before. And there are some that recognize their need for the Savior today. Lord, give them the faith to believe. Give them the faith to say, Jesus, I need you. Some of the most powerful words that can ever be spoken. Jesus, I need you. And we pray, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin. We pray that those who recognize their need for the Savior would turn to the Savior and receive the gift of new life and a new heart that comes through the power of your grace and mercy on display through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we're asking you to do what only you can do, believing that you are the God who saves. And Lord, for the church, for the church that is walking with you and seeking to follow after you, Lord, would you, would you open our eyes to see what our words are revealing about our heart? Would you give us wisdom to speak blessing and not cursing? Would you use our words, Lord God, to breathe life to bring encouragement. May they be seasoned with grace and may they be a gift to those who hear. Lord, let us live in light of the good news of the gospel and speak in light of the power of words. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.